Welcome to DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sector Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And this episode is sponsored by 26 Digital, a full-service agency that offers integrated marketing solutions exclusively to destination marketing organizations and members of the travel, tourism, and hospitality industries. Dave Serino, Brian Matson, and the 26 team assist DMOs with developing measurable and successful digital marketing strategies through specialized solutions to elevate the overall understanding, strategic direction, and tactical implementation of impactful campaigns. You can learn more at 26Digital, all letters, no numbers, 26Digital.com. And now on to our show. Our guest today is Erin Francis Cummings, President and CEO of Destination Analysts, and she has spent the last nearly two decades studying travelers from across the globe and translating their evolving, complex, and fascinating behaviors and opinions into marketing insights for Destination Analysts over 200 clients. She has designed research strategy and facilitated consumer research for some of the world's greatest destination brands from Fiji to Florida. In addition to conducting research from brand auditing to user experience to ROI analysis, she also oversees the production of Destination Analysts' The State of the American Traveler, one of the travel industry's longest-running and most relied-upon tracking studies of American leisure travel sentiment and behaviors. They also offer the State of the International Traveler, an annual study of the travel behaviors and perceptions of international travelers in 14 top feeder markets to the United States. Since February of last year, Aaron has led Destination Analyst Weekly Coronavirus Travel Sentiment Index, which shows insights from which have been critical to the travel industry's navigation of the COVID-19 pandemic crisis. Aaron currently serves on the International Board of Directors for the Travel and Tourism Research Association and supports the greater travel industry through projects for the U.S. Travel Association and Destinations International. Prior to leading destination analysts, Aaron held advertising and marketing management roles at Amtrak and the San Francisco Travel Association. She holds a bachelor's degree in political science from the University of California, Los Angeles, and currently lives in San Francisco with her husband and two school-aged children. Erin Francis Cummings, welcome to DMOU. Thanks, Bill. And I forgot to add, I now have a dog at home with me in San Francisco. <laughs> what? What is that? Everybody's going out and getting dogs. And I'm thinking when we get back on the road, what are we going to do with those pets? I've been wondering the same thing, seeing some of my road warrior friends uh, (laughs) with with their pets. Like, oh, yeah, when we're all when we're all back out there, uh, those pets are going to be sad. Yeah, well, I've been watching on Facebook our friend Berkeley Young, and he's got two very high-spirited young puppies. And I'm thinking, dude, when you're back on the road, they're going to destroy your place. I know. <laughs> that's Berkeley, That I was thinking of you also. <laughs> but they are adorable. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, before we get to your three questions and bonus round, I got to ask you, I'm poli-sci too. I have to ask, what were your ambitions with that degree path when you were in high school and college? Because for me, it had nothing to do with travel and tourism. (laughs) Certainly. I think, Bill, you, me, and I should do a a survey of this. I'm going to guess 80 to 90% of our colleagues in this industry didn't have travel, tourism, or DMO on their mind or didn't know what a DMO was. Um, I'm sure you've heard that so many times when people talk about how they ended up here. Oh, I had no idea. I had no idea. (laughs) 
Yeah, I didn't. I didn't either. I landed at the San Francisco, uh, then called San Francisco Convention and Visitors Bureau, as a temporary gig when I moved to San Francisco out of college. But um, my vision uh, with my poli sci degree was that I was going to write speeches for the president of the United States. <laughs> That's uh, <Whoa. laughs> um, so. I like that. Yeah, and Bill, I know we're both far from what we thought we were going to do with our degrees, but I know you use your degree in your work all the time. And uh, I feel like I do too. I mean, we we have to have a, a good understanding of governmental structures for the DMOs. And I mean, for my work, the speech writing and inspiration part of it certainly comes in handy. Well, and for us, absolutely. Because, you know, while it might not have been uber political when I got into this business in the 80s, uh, it certainly is today. And, and for those of us that got into this business because of our love of promoting our destinations and marketing and sales, for the most part, DMO CEOs are politicians today and really don't have uh, the same amount of time that they spend on marketing sales that I think that we all wanted to do when we got into this. So uh, in the end, it actually uh, paid off for me and I, it clearly has paid off for you too. And on behalf of all of us, I just want to say thank you for your weekly coronavirus travel sentiment index. I'm guessing that you never imagined a year later that you'd still be doing this as a free service to the industry and people can go to destinationanalyst.com every single week and get insights into where we are in the ebb and flow of travel sentiment. But we are so grateful for your commitment of time and resources to do this on behalf of our industry. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And and you're right, Bill. I, I had no idea. Here we'd be. We're, we're heading into week 47 of doing that. And I, I have to tip my hat, though, to my partner in the business, Dave Bratton, because I was so exhausted <laughs> publishing the findings each week. And back when we first thought we had COVID handled in this country, um, so back after the spring, I said, Dave, do you think we can move to every other week? And he's like, Aaron, no, it's too soon. Things are still changing. And I tell him all the time, thank God you're so smart and I listen to you. Because in the summer we had spike two and then we're just coming out of spike three and things keep on changing. And, and you've kept us on track and helped guide us with when is it going to be time to, to get back into the game? When is it appropriate to market? You know, the sentiment goes both ways. There's the resident sentiment side. There's people who don't want us marketing the destination because they don't want people coming in and infecting them. In fact, I've said before, we we took a quick trip up into the upper peninsula of Michigan during fall colors. And, you know, we we stopped in at a restaurant that had open seating and we were there middle of the day. We were being cautious and their protocols were on the door. Uh, and it's, you know, a mask, six feet. And it says, if you don't have Michigan plates, go home. Wow. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, so you've got the residents that really don't want visitors, and then you've got visitors who are nervous, don't want to be shamed for traveling. And so it has really been a tough one, I think, for a lot of DMOs over the, uh, the past six, eight months at least of knowing when to start, when to stop. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But for your first question, I, I, you were recently featured in a video series that was produced by our friends at BVK. It's called Destination Tailwind, and you can find it at the BVK Dot com website. In the episode that featured you, you indicated that a significant number of us in the DMO world believe that we need to change how we do business. I mean, like a big number, like 85 or 90. It was, it was huge. Yeah. 
But at that same number, that significantly fewer people plan to act on this intuition that we need to change up the way we do what we do in destination marketing. Share with us the research that you conducted and, and what you learned from over 200 destination marketing organization CEOs and leaders. Doing that survey of 241 DMO executives, they see that they need to change everywhere from their funding models to how they view competition. And they feel ready for that change and they feel like they have tools to do it, but they're facing all these different challenges. And, you know, you could see that the optimism and the, you know, the CEO really being the cheerleader for change that they see as necessary. What the findings suggest is there's all kinds of implications for how DMOs hire. I thought it was profound that so many DMO CEOs saw internal battles uh, in their organization for why they were not able to change at the pace that they saw as necessary. And they also obviously are facing external battles with stakeholders. And I I was thinking like, wow, so clearly uh, they need to have people on their team that are the type of personality and the type of worker that embraces change and embraces a culture of uh, looking at change and not being afraid of it. Mm-hmm. There may not be questions in the interviewing process and that identify that right now, um, but clearly that's really necessary in terms of a human resource and the staffing of these organizations. The CEO can't do it alone, and that, that's how they're going to be able to accomplish this change that they really see as critical. The internal blocks, then, that you're sensing, are they mostly staff or are they somewhat more leaning towards boards that don't see the opportunity to change our stripes? It looked like from the research findings, it's more external, but I wouldn't ignore the internal because that was significant enough where that actually can get controlled. I mean, Bill, you know, it's you have to go in and help DMOs all the time with getting handle on their boards, but it can be done. And the same with the with the internal, that was like, wow, okay, a CEO can actually really look at their hiring practices, and this is something they can get more of a handle on, getting people working for them that are embracing of change. So the bottom line of this research that you did on behalf of BVK and for this series called Destination Tailwind was really trying to identify where are the blocks? What is preventing us from doing what we believe in our hearts is the right thing to reimagine what destination marketing is all about? You told me as we prepped for this episode that most of the DMO CEOs that participated didn't say that they were in the destination marketing business. They said they were in economic development. Is that part of the problem is that there are other agencies in our communities? There are other entities online that claim to be economic development. Is that part of the problem is that we've stepped into what could be perceived as someone else's space? That really got me thinking, Bill, uh, the, seeing the, the outcome in the response to that question of, you know, how they really see their primary purpose, which, you know, again, the 
vast majority of them said it was they were there to support the local economy. There is a lot of competition for that role, as you know, economic development agencies or chambers of commerce. That competition is certainly, you know, going to be distracting in what we've been talking about, like the necessary changes. But it's interesting to think too, though, if they transform that and say, okay, our sole purpose is for tourism marketing, then you have the people that say that that's an overly competitive space and perhaps distracting because then people start to think, well, you know, social media and and Google can fill that role. You're right. And there are some critics out there that are trying to um, put DMOs out of business by saying that that role may have been important in the 80s and 90s, but today with TripAdvisor and Yelp and you know, Amazon experiences and all the social that's out there that we've really lost, um, as the French would say, a raison d'etre, a reason for being. And you and I both understand that, that what we do in destination marketing is there is only one true source of information. And Google can certainly repurpose, as does TripAdvisor and others, but no one tells a story like a destination marketing organization. And then that, I think, is really where the change that we all think we need to do is, that we got to get past this heads and beds crap and get into being the complete community storyteller to every person for every reason. Yay? I totally agree. And having living here in San Francisco amongst lots of Google folks, I'm pretty confident in saying Google is not in the business of <laughs> developing a local tourism industry and being responsible for that growth and telling its story. Right. <laughs> like you said, they ag- aggregate information. And if that information you know, gets traffic and sells more ads, then great for them. But nothing can replace a DMO in being the organization responsible for that. And, you know, they need to be valued for that role. Yeah. Well, I encourage everybody to uh, check out Aaron on the BVK Destination Tailwinds segment that uh, you did a, a month or so ago. It's, uh, it's good stuff. I really enjoyed the segments. And then there's another segment where a researcher professor is talking more about, okay, so what is your purpose? Which is really beyond mission statement, right? It's an interesting series, and you know, full disclosure, I'm in the third episode installment uh, talking about our manifesto, if you will, about where we think the future of community marketing should be going. And you know, there is no one true way. We'd say that all the time, but we, we really are encouraging people to look at how the collaboration between economic development, Chamber of Commerce, Main Street, Downtown Association, and DMO can really have some amazing results uh, and we're seeing that uh, firsthand with uh, Gary Sherwin and the folks at Newport Beach and Company, which really were the first to adopt this model. And so the three-part series, and I think uh, there are more parts coming, but but the first part was yours, and uh, we encourage everybody to go check that out. Time for question number two. We talked about it at the outset. You know, you've said that your work balances our past and our future. For this past year, you've been doing just that. You've been doing that weekly deep dive into the minds of travel consumers, while sentiment is beginning to brighten, uh, good news the other day that, you know, new cases down, you know, in double digits throughout much of the country. What have been the greatest takeaways for you from 
your weekly work? I mean, you've said that there were, you know, there's the first spike, there's the second spike, there's the third spike. And the correlation of how people are starting and stopping to, to plan travel or to actually do travel. What were the things that stood out over the past year for you? There was some point, I think, you know, after the second spike where it felt to me like about half of travelers just weren't going to do it. You know, they just weren't really going to think so much about traveling. And they, it seemed like they stayed fixed in that, that mindset. And now we're seeing that start to turn. I thought that was kind of fascinating. Like until there was more done against the virus, they were, weren't really going to budge. And, you know, we need our industry more than 50% back. So, you know, as I look at my past year of my sentiment towards venturing out into town on the road, you know, in the beginning, there was real serious concern, double masking and all that kind of stuff. And one trip to the store a week, and that was it. And then, you know, to your point, we began to soften up a little bit into the late spring and, and early summer and looked like, okay, maybe. And I think some of the guidance we were getting was suggesting that the summer would help kill it off. And so I think we let our guard down. And I'm finding myself probably more focused on keeping myself safe than I was even in the beginning. And maybe it's because we've lost so many people that we know and loved. And now we realize, I mean, it was always serious, but when you lose somebody, it becomes a lot more serious. Certainly. So is that kind of what you're seeing? I mean, th there was that moment, I thought, in the summer where people started thinking, okay, we can make this work, or at least we can travel safely. And now we realize that it's really hard to travel safely. And then, of course, there was say, about 15%. It fluctuated a bit. It never hit more than 20%, Bill, though, that the virus just, it was not a factor to them. Um, they did not change the way they travel. And I think some of our DMOs saw people like that come to town and, you know, had some difficulties with rural following and, mm -hmm. and such. Um, but, you know, I always see in the research, people mean to do the right things. One of the things I'd like to point out is we've seen always, and we ask every week, how concerned are you about yourself getting the virus? How concerned are you about friends and family? And Americans are more concerned about their friends and family than even themselves. I think that's really, to me, that's nice. As much as we've been fighting, you know, it was election year last, their hearts is generally in the right place and wanting to do the right things. We are seeing more optimism. And yeah. I just presented with our friend, Adam Sachs from Tourism Economics. He was sharing what he sees really lines up exactly exactly with what we're seeing yeah. through the consumer research. And unfortunately, we, we were really hopeful about 2021 and we have every reason to be, but this first quarter in 2021 is not the quarter where we recover. We're seeing a ramp up starting in May. And then we have right now, almost 30% of American travelers say they, right now they have plans, trip plans for July. And then it doesn't drop significantly through the fall the bigger drop in November, and then it bounces back up in December. And that's right now. So with the way vaccines are going, uh, we're seeing a majority of Americans think that they're going to get vaccinated by June. And that's obviously playing into how they're, they're thinking about and planning travel. May not be true, but it certainly is getting them thinking about getting back on the road. And honestly, it's a great segue into our third question, because for a lot of us, except for those of us in the most rural communities, for a lot of DMOs, this recovery does not really begin until meetings and conventions and events come back. 
you recently released your 2021 report on how meeting planners are viewing the future and the role of what they're going to expect from a DMO going forward. Tell us some of the top points uh, in that research. Yeah, and I just want to point out uh, back to our earlier conversation about the DMO. I mean, meetings is a space where uh, really I can't, and I think a lot of meeting planners can't imagine there not being a DMO. Even the meeting planners that may not be so aware of uh, DMOs and working with them, I think if they went away, they would. <laughs> those organizations went away, they would certainly feel it because you, you need to have an organization responsible for that part of the local tourism industry. We tracked how meeting planners feel about DMOs and you know, it continues to be very positive. The In terms of recovery, the majority of meeting planners, as you can imagine, say it's going to be 2022 or later for meetings to fully recover in the United States, depending on how you want to take it. 50% of the 500 plus meeting planners that we just surveyed felt that it would return to num- normal in 2022. But, you know, 87% of them, when we surveyed them in December, they had live meetings on the books for 2021. So we may not see the volume recover from meetings yet this year, but they certainly are going to happen. One thing that I think your audience will find interesting working in this space um, was the, the hybrid model. And as part of this research, we did one-on-one interviews with over 20 meeting planners. And we talked to them about these hybrid models, and they certainly see a role for the CBB. In fact, they're almost begging for the CBB to help them with them because this is, this is new territory for them. And they were very forthcoming in that it's the hybrid model is very difficult for them to make money off of. To them, it's like they have to plan two different meetings. Some of the things that people thought were going to be benefits to them, like, oh, you'll have more attendees and such, they haven't really seen that turn into profitability. And so DMO sales and marketing folks are looking to really establish or uh, strengthen their relationship with their meeting planner clients. Uh, You know, if those clients are tasked with having to do a hybrid meeting, Mm -hmm. if you can help them with that, they all said they're just dying for ideas and uh, ways to make that work better. There have always been meeting planners who say, I don't want to work with the DMO. I don't trust them. You know, they're not going to do what I say. You know, they're not working for me. I actually moderated a panel uh, at ICA a year ago. Actually, it's been two years now where we had a meeting planner that refused to work with DMOs and a meeting planner who would never think to not use a DMO and had the two of them sparring back and forth. And I thought about this the other day when you told me that this is like their biggest pain point is hybrids not making money for them. And so that's really a struggle. Is this the moment where DMOs can reintroduce themselves to previously unsupportive meeting planners that now need any support that they can possibly get? And that's going to come down to, can we figure out how to reduce the costs of hybrid? Can we provide them with tech or cameras or sound stages and you know we we both know some convention centers are starting to peel off part of their space to make these sound stages so that they can be ready to do the hybrids and just say hey you, you want to use our convention center or you want to use this convention and visitors bureau we can take care of this for you and this is why you should come here rather than the other destinations you're looking at i think it's a huge opportunity Oh, I, I totally agree. And also to show themselves that they are service people. And that's why meeting planners should work with them because they're there to help them. 
and Bill, I'm cu- really curious about this debate because what, what I've heard from meeting planners who don't use CVB ZMOs, they've usually had a bad experience with one. Yeah. And I always feel so terrible hearing that because I want to shake that CVB that gave them the bad experience and say, you're dragging down everyone else. I know. And it's true. And that, that's exactly what this meeting planner said, that it actually happened to her a couple of times, but that she would say, okay, I want this lead to only go to whatever, downtown, suburban, whatever it was. She was, that's what I want. And the bureau nodded and smiled and said, you bet. And then sent it to everybody because that was their policy. And you know, I've been in that situation. We had this blow up when I was running Madison decades ago was we had a a faction on the board that said, we don't care what the meeting planner says. We're paying your salary. Every lead comes to every hotel. Oh my God. (laughs) It's like, yeah. And I think that those are the planners who have been caught in those kinds of, you know, crosshairs who just say, Hey, you've just cost me three days of my life answering phone calls from people that have, there's no way I'm going to meet in their hotel. Right. We inadvertently, those bureaus that did that, showed them that we couldn't be trusted to do what they wanted. And I think it's, we both know, it's the argument, who's the client? (laughs) Is it the planner or is it our members or our partners? Yeah. And then it goes to speak to, right to their mission, right, Bill? Like, yeah, they should identify that. Who are we? And therefore, it should then start to become clear, really, who are they serving? Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, this has been great, and thanks for the insight. Thanks for all the work that you do. Uh, but we got to get to your bonus round question because it's going to be fun. You told me that you grew up in Los Angeles, and so growing up in LA, you clearly brushed shoulders with a number of celebrities and some future celebrities, like going to high school with the Kardashians, which we will save for another time. <laughs> but one of your favorite stories is from when you were working at a high-profile event to pitch San Francisco as a possible site for the 2012 Olympics. Tell us about that site inspection and that event. Well, we marketing folks were told that we had to work this big wig event. It was at the top of the uh, Western St. Francis and Union Square in San Francisco and the Olympic Committee was uh, coming and you know we're trying to get them to consider the Bay Area for the Olympics. So very hoity-toity event, as you can imagine. When you ask me for fun stories, I just, I like this one because I think, you know, having worked in the CVB, we get incredible opportunities, yeah. right? When you work in a CVB, sometimes, uh, or in the travel industry, you just get these incredible opportunities. Right. I, never again did I get to, you know, meet the Olympic Committee and try to do something as incredible towards the economy of where I live and try to get the Olympics here. This really told the so illustrative of uh, the early aughts in uh, the Bay Area and the tech industry. So the OG tech bro, uh, Sergey Brin, the co-founder of Google, came to this event uh, because they were trying to get, at that time, Google to see themselves as more of like you know, part of the Bay Area economy and our brand. Mm-hmm. And yep. well, he showed up uh, to this, we're all in cocktail attire. He showed up with his little brother in sweatpants and like a sweaty <laughs> t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> 
so tech, so Bay Area. <laughs> yeah, and and it was so funny, Bill, though, because he genuinely did not know that that was not appropriate. And he had just come from this, and this is so tech bro too, he had just come from circus training. So he was okay. having right. someone teach him how to do circus type of acts. And interestingly, his girlfriend at the time that I was friends with, she was the head of marketing. She was the chief marketing officer for Open Table. And she was so furious at him. And Bill, I'm sure you've had this experience when a woman is mad at you. She just pulled him in the corner and read him the riot act. And it's just funny today, you know, one of the most powerful people in the world, just seeing him like a dog with his tail between his legs. And he uh, exited the event to uh, go change into something more appropriate. Too funny. That's just wild. But isn't that just how it is? I mean, there are people who live in their own worlds and just don't really see. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's great. That's, that's, That's a great story. Well, Bill, I have a question for you. Do you remember the first conversation you and I ever had? And I'm just joking because, of course, you don't. (laughs) But I wanted to take the opportunity, since I get to be a guest on on your podcast, um, to just share what you've meant to me in my career. So I first met you 15 years ago over the phone, and we were talking about brand and destination brands. And you told me, Aaron, what is Las Vegas's brand? And of course you knew that I was gonna say, well, it's what happens here stays here. And you said, Aaron, it's not what happens here stays here. That's a tagline. The brand is adultery. It's sex. That's what they're selling you on when you're visiting Las Vegas. And you know what, Bill, all the destination brand research I've designed and conducted in the 15 years since that conversation, I've thought about that because I know you have to, you have to uncover what it really is and you have to distill it down to that essence that you did so brilliantly. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. I, I was trained well by Marsha Lindsay, who we had on a few months ago on this podcast. And so if you want to hear one of the, I think, best brand minds in the world. Uh, go back a few months uh, in our archives, and it's Marsha Lindsay um, talking about the future of the future. <laughs> so thank you for letting me uh, mm-hmm. tip of the hat to somebody who uh, who taught us all well. So, And I tell you what, when, when you said the first time we met, I'm thinking, okay, it has to be Destinations International or you know one of the industry conferences. And I always remembered, I had known Dave for a while, and then when I got a chance to to meet you, I figured, oh, okay, here's the brains of the operations. <laughs> Don't tell them I said that. <laughs> anyway, hey, Aaron, thanks for all you do, all that Dave and the team at Destinations Analysts do for all of us. Uh, you make us smarter. Uh, you make us better able to serve our communities. And we owe you a huge debt of gratitude, especially for all the work that you're doing with the coronavirus um, travel index. Tell people where they can find you and learn more about Destination Analysts because you're way more than the index, right? And you're way more than the uh, state of the American traveler, which we've always loved uh, your, your insights in that. Tell us more about the organization and where they can find more about you. So we are a full-service market research company serving our beloved travel, tourism, and hospitality industry for almost two decades now. Uh, You can learn more about what we do at destinationanalyst.com, and we always release 
findings and little gems of information uh, through our social channels. Uh, you can find us at Destination Analysts on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We do all kinds of research to help people better understand their brand, their audience, their marketing performance. And we've had uh, the great pleasure of getting to do so much work in the, the destination marketing uh, industry. Like I just mentioned, helping people uh, understand really, truly the essence of their destination brand, the audiences that are going to make that brand successful into the future, and really tying the performance of their organization uh, into the tourism that they see in their community. Well, I'll tell you what, here is hoping, as much as I have hung on every word of every one of your editions of the index, here's hoping you don't have to do it too much longer. <laughs> as much <laughs> yeah, as I love reading summer. your stuff and watching your videos, but let's really hope that you can get out from under that and get back to what you guys do best. And so again, thanks so much for everything. Yeah. Thank you, Bill. Okay, that's it for this edition of the Resurrected DMOU. Tell your friends and peers we're back and looking forward to sharing, as we said on the original website, innovative ways to tell people where to go. Thanks again to this episode's sponsor, 26 Digital, a full-service agency that offers integrated marketing solutions exclusively to the destination marketing organization and members of the travel, tourism, and hospitality industries. Dave Serino, Brian Masson, and the 26 team assist DMOs with developing measurable and successful digital marketing strategies. You can find them at 26digital, all letters, no numbers.com. DMOpros.com is where you're going to find out more on our services to the DMO world, plus links to the Z News, videos, blogs, as well as to earlier episodes of DMOU and the biggest DMO job board on the planet. That's DMOpros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time. Mm-hmm.